want to share with you once again verse 18. It's the key verse today for the message on transformation. And it says this, all of us with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from that same image into that same image, excuse me, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We talk a lot about faith. What is the end goal of faith? Why believe? Eternal life? Forgiveness? So you can be forgiven? Is it relationship with Jesus Christ? Scripture says the end uh, fruit of your faith is salvation of your soul, but is there an end goal of faith beyond that? If it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, what is that purpose? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's to be in ministry with Him, to reconcile the world, to be friends with Him, and reconcile the world to the Father. That's the end goal of faith. To bring others with you to the kingdom. Kind of like Dink just did. Mm-hmm. Told more about it. And I've got to share with you that faith isn't something where as soon as you get it, all of a sudden, boom, you're out there doing great works. Some folks have a great story, but not necessarily great works. It's kind of like a marriage. Marriage starts and then it grows. Wouldn't you say? It isn't the same 20 years later as it was on day one. On day one, the couple usually wants to get through the ceremony saying, get alone for a while. I will tell you this. I'm not the same person as when I married Christine. I don't mean I'm older and bigger. I don't mean that and out of shaper or whatever you want to say. I mean... If I was the same person now as I was then, I wouldn't have grown in the marriage. It has movement. Marriage starts for everyone who marries as a common event, as the same thing. You pronounce your vows, exchange your rings, you're married. Everybody starts the same, but they don't end the same. They develop and grow differently. It's a common event when people get married, but it's not the same once that day is ended and the next day starts. Every marriage is different. It becomes special to the two who grow and develop it. It becomes a unique bond between them that nobody else can have. That bond between them is theirs and theirs alone. But it doesn't start with, oh, we got a bond, now we're done. It takes years and years and years to develop such a strong relationship through marriage with intentionality to grow it to a beautiful thing. Oh, I've seen beautiful wedding ceremonies. I've officiated a few. But I've also seen some of those marriages not last very long. Mm -hmm. A beautiful ceremony doesn't mean a great marriage. A great marriage means it grows and develops Mm -hmm. and both people working together transforming from individuals 
to one. It's kind of like our world. We have seasons. Fall, winter, some people call fall autumn, spring, summer. It's all part of the cycle of life that we accept. It's just part of the seasons change, right? Some say life has similar seasons to those seasons as well. Even Ecclesiastes 3 agrees that everything has a season under the sun. What season of life are you in? This world's in winter. The trees look like they don't live right now, but they are actually developing something called stamina. You see, if a tree was in growing season all day long, and I did this once, I kept a grow light on some plants all the time. They grew so tall and so fast they couldn't support themselves and died. A tree needs a season of rest. It looks like it's nothing happening, but under the ground there's stability taking place in root systems that are providing nutrients to that tree that they've stored to keep the tree alive that the leaves that fall off had to fall off, otherwise the tree wouldn't survive. But it looks like when the trees are, are losing their leaves that something is dying, but it's not. It's a part of the change of the season. So in your life, are you in, are you in winter right now where you're waiting? Just developing roots and, and, and being rooted where you are. As a church, I believe that we're getting ready to move into a spring season. That we're in a what I call a basic sermon series to develop the root and the foundation for what God's doing here. So we don't go from a, a flimsy sand basis, but on a solid rock of Christ. Some people say their lives are in spring where there's fresh growth going on and insights and, and everything's exciting and new and things are changing really fast. And that's spring. Summer's the time of year where, where you're not getting as much uh, fed, but the growth is still going on and the, and the fruit is starting to come onto the branches and all this and you're getting ready for harvest. In the summer, you can have a drought if you're not ready and prepared in your life. And some people go through a lot of dry spells. in the faith, in their life, because they don't plan for those things. But as summer comes along, then comes harvest in the fall and the great harvest. And everybody's out in the fields, working the fields. Farmers here, we know this. There's people who miss church on Sunday night, the, the farm, because it's got to get done. It's the only time of the year you can harvest is harvest time. Am I correct? Or can you harvest in the, in the winter or the spring, the, the summer crop? You can't. You have to harvest it when the crop is ready. In our lives, there's sometimes this great harvest. A harvest of faith. A harvest of fruit, if you will. And productivity that is now showing forth in blessing after blessing and abundance. Some lives are in abundance right now. That is a season. Seasons change. They're not always going to stay the same. But seasons also transform. The trees that look dead in winter and dormant phase are developing. The ones that are becoming green are getting ready for the flowers and the fruit and all the things following. They're always in some part of the growth. Even when, to us, it looks like nothing. <laughs> Maybe our faith feels that way sometimes. To us, it looks like Nothing. God, what are you doing in my life? And there's nothing happening. I feel like I'm stagnant. You might be in winter, God, preparing you for spring. 
Let God root you, build you up where you are, and get ready for what's next. Another way to look at it is is a small baby. They don't start out of the womb running. Uh, Horses kind of do, but I'm talking about humans, not ponies. Babies learn to crawl. Then they learn to stand. Then they learn to walk. Then they learn to run. Then they learn to play football and pole pole. All that happens later though, doesn't it? doesn't happen to day one. They stand up, oh, I'm going to go run a marathon. doesn't work like that. <laughs> they start off with Googling. And no, oh, I don't mean the website. I mean Google, you know, that sound. Yes, babies Google, did you know? And Gaga. <laughs> they mutter. Then they learn to form words. Then short sentences. Usually by age two, they're learning the word no real well. <laughs> Maybe dad, dad, mama, and bada, and whatever, binky, or whatever the thing's called nowadays. Um, but short sentences come after that, and then they're starting to speak, and you wonder, wonder what my baby needs, what he feels, if he hurts, he can't say anything, and when he starts talking, he never shuts up. You go, why did I ever wish him to start talking? <laughs> Chatterbox all day long. But did you know in the space of two years, a child learns thousands of words? Thousands at a rate of 14 to 50 or more words a day. We just can't keep up. How do they know all these words? He just knew a couple sentences, now he's speaking the dictionary. (laughs) Happens quick. There are like 50,000 words in the English language, and we all know them, but we only use about 12 to 15,000 of them in our everyday language. Some of us use a little more, some a little less. But did you know that we know those, almost all those words, by the time we're 10? All of them. And by the time we're five, we can know half of them. You see, everything a baby does to develop, from crawling to walking, from Googling to speaking, each step along the way, seems like normal growth, doesn't it? But the baby's transforming from a helpless individual to one that can manage itself in the world. It's a normal process. You see... We know, don't we, what a baby can become and will become as it gets older. Well, that's what the two-year-olds do, you know. Parents look back at the children and then they see the grandchildren. That's what mine did when it was four. You know, I expect that. We'll just have to replace the curtains or something. <laughs> Ever had that? I don't know, but I've seen lots of curtains destroyed over the years. Colors, matches, you name it. Not my children. My children never do that. So, we know that a child is going to grow in a certain direction as he gets older to be more of an adult, a toddler, you know, a middle-aged youth, a, a, a preteen, teen, all that. We know what to expect. And most of us can say, well, it's the teenage years, you know, the rebellious years. They, uh, they know more than their parents. We, we say these things, don't we? Because we know our faith develops the same way. And we're growing toward what the Father, the parent, knows that we as a babe in Christ can become. He knows when we start out in Jesus where we can go next. But we've got to crawl first. Got to Google a little bit. I don't mean during service. I mean we have to learn how to speak the language of the heart. He knows what 
you and I are created for in the faith. He knows. And so He gives us the Holy Spirit to give us direction to get there. He gives us a guide to help us mature. He brings people to us as we're ready to learn the lesson. Oftentimes, people have shared things with me I wasn't yet ready to receive. And then one day someone said it the exact same way in the presence of another person who had said it the exact same way years before. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I never heard that. And the person next to him is going, I told you that three years ago. You didn't want to listen. God gets us ready to listen. Mm-hmm. And when we're ready to listen, we grow. We're ready to hear. But for some reason, when God speaks, we don't respond as readily as we did when we were little babies. And I think it's because we have this filter. When we're a baby, it doesn't work. Well, I'm supposed to stand. Little babies don't go, why do you want me to stand and walk to you? What's up with you? Don't you see, I like sitting on the floor and crawling. Babies don't talk like that. They learn to stand and they trust that this is part of the normal growth. We in the Christian faith should learn the same way to trust our Father. He does not respond to us in a confused manner or misdirected. But we respond not so readily. Here's what we think, though. And and this is kind of like, I brought this in for those who work with chickens. We don't know that we're not done incubating. We're still growing. We're the little peeps. Does that make sense? We're we're in the process. We're not full grown in faith just because we say, I believe in Jesus. That's the start, as I've said before. And so, in this verse, it talks about we are being transformed from the same image into the same image of God, from glory to glory. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's doing the work is what He's saying. But what is the glory of God? What is it that's changing in us that we don't seem to think is happening very well or we resist? God's glory is simply His presence, sometimes visibly seen as a glow. You've seen pictures of Jesus where He's glowing. When someone has the presence of God on them, you just kind of see something different. You can't really tell what it is, but you know they've just got something And they got this depth and joy and that glow. God's presence is upon them and in them. In the Old Testament, it talked about the Shekinah glory of God. It's a radiation of who He is. Where He does something. It's almost like when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as nomads. He said that God was in the presence of a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. That pillar of fire is God's presence, but the pillar of fire wasn't a fire that burnt something. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that kind of fire where it was burnt on wood or, or anything else that would be combustible. As you see, when Moses encountered God for the first time, he saw a bush that was burning but not consumed. And he understood this was God. God lights a fire of His presence in us and we burn. But not to be consumed, but to glow. To draw people to us and to God. 
It's glory of God is basically like a radiation of who He is. It is a fire that will not consume you when it's in you. It lights up, but it does not use electricity. It stirs you, but it doesn't use a spoon. It is visible in acts of love or in divine acts of miraculous power. One of my favorite verses, John 14, 21 says, If you love me as I have loved you, says Jesus, you will see me. I will make myself manifest to you. You will see who I am. Jesus says this. And you don't necessarily see Him persona like some of us get to when we lose our life for 15 minutes. But in the sense that all of a sudden you feel Christ in you doing the work and you know you're in His presence. That knowing that you're there is the glory. In Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about this transformation process. And I want to share this with you because of it's really an interesting passage, but also <laughs> there's a section in here that I'm not going to read that people want to jump to and say, you've got to be in church. I'm not going to verse 25. I'm going to verse 24. And here is what he says in 10.19. Therefore, having, brethren, having boldness, boldness, to enter the holiest places by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, that's transformative, and our bodies washed with pure water, baptism, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promises faithful. Now listen to verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us help each other do good works. Now, that statement may seem to you like, well, I'm doing good works. Yes. But it's, the word here is provoke. Encourage. Help it happen. That you would help another to do good works. Now, why would it be so important that we would help someone do a good work unless that good work had a fruit with it? And result of fruit is what? Of the faith is what? What did we just say? It's to be in ministry and help the world be reconciled to the Father. So, if I'm going to stir up and provoke you to do something, it's to get other people into the kingdom of God. What can you do to help Others know Jesus to stir you up, to get you to do those kind of works. Sometimes those works are a process. One of the greatest key ministries here besides the Agape Box and, and morning worship is the Wednesday night ministries that we do here. That first night and first few months, it didn't mean that people were saved all of a sudden. 
it meant that there was something in place where good work was happening so God could plant a seed so the seed could grow and mature and then it could produce. It takes time to grow. That's why babies aren't full grown when they're born. They would not be able to support themselves. I mean, physically. Well, literally too. But financially as well. They're not born that way. It takes time. I'm thankful that it takes about 18 years for someone to get full grown. Could you imagine buying clothes if it happened like in three months? Every day it's a new size. What are you going to do? Buy stretchomatics? I don't even know what that is. The clothes that would fit today and tomorrow. All I know is that when God begins to work in us, fruit follows. Some sort of ministry. And I don't mean necessarily preaching. I mean a good work for the kingdom that shows God loves somebody and His glory is seen through that work. Even if the person doesn't recognize it's from God yet. In James chapter 2, we find a couple things happening. In this verse 22, such a a powerful verse. I almost wanted to just preach on this verse this morning. But it says in 22 that, Do you see that faith was working together with works? It's talking about Abraham, his works. And by works, faith was made perfect. I, um, I like the Greek a whole lot better because the word perfect there is teleoi. I don't know if you know your Greek real well, but I threw it out there because it's my favorite Greek word. It means mature and complete. Mature to the level of which you can mature right now. A two-year-old matures to a level of a two-year-old right then. They don't mature to a level of a seven-year-old until the seven or thereabouts. So when it says by works, faith was made Perfect, it's mature, complete to the level of the faith that is evidenced there. So the works become greater as the faith becomes stronger. Does that make sense? You can only do as much as your faith allows you to believe you can do. If you don't believe you can do anything, you're not going to do much. But, Go back to the 17th verse there, and it says, Faith without works is dead. It even says it on the screen here, if you'll. I think that's 17 for us. Yeah, faith does not have works, it is dead. Now, you go, but I do have works. But your works will increase over time as your faith does. Faith is not stagnant. Jesus says, and we'll learn more about this next Sunday, if you have as much as a mustard seed, you'll grow to a big tree. So faith grows. So works grow. You start off at one level, and He brings you to the next. You have greater faith. It is something for a child to stand on his own two feet for the first time, hanging on to a a end table or a couch and just stand there wobbling. They're really proud of it. But faith says he's going to learn to walk a step by hanging on to that next. We know this. This is the next process of growth. 
You don't say, well, I've got to the stand here. I'm good. I'm just going to wobble around the rest of my life. No, I'm going to grow. I'm going to show God that I'm hungry for more who He is and I want Him to use me for His purposes. So I'm going to let go of the couch and take a step and if I fall, I fall. It's okay. I've got padding here because I'm a baby in Christ. That's why they got all that baby fat. Because they fall a lot. And then, you know, we don't say it to adults. Oh, you fell down and went boom. Say that to babies and they laugh. Because they learn that falling is okay. We would call it failure as adults. They call it falling and getting back up and let's do it again. Let's have fun. It was fun. Let's fall. It's fun. Let's get up and do it again. We don't do that as adults. We think it's wrong. Well, I messed up. I better not try it anymore. It's not true. You haven't messed up. You've fallen. Stand back up. You learned how to do it as a kid. You just forgot you knew how. You are a different person when your faith grows. Your works become greater works. The question I have for you this morning is, are you taking on greater works in your life or have you kind of plateaued? Have you fruit, as John Wesley would ask you? Have they faith? Have they fruit of salvation? Transformation from one level of glory to the next. It is a glorious thing in a parent's eyes to see a baby take their first step. The parent's presence there makes that an even very special moment for that child, and they glow too. Look what I've done, and they're happy too. It's the glow of the presence of someone who loves them. Called a father, a mother, and possibly other family members excited too. Now you say, well, what does this have to do with faith? Quite simple. Some of us don't know how to walk real well yet in the faith. Some of us are running the race. And some of us have plateaued and we're just kind of waiting around. I don't know what season you are in the faith or where you're at, but there must be works. There must be something that you're doing for God, for His kingdom, on a regular basis based on love. If that's not happening, you've stagnated and your faith is dying or dead. I've brought this all together with the thought, do you want me to do it? you want to help? I'll do it. Communion. I love communion. You take a seat and put it in the ground. Grapeseed. Grapeseed is not going to provide much juice, is it? So if that grapeseed uh, saves the seed, it's not going to do anything. It has to transform into something, doesn't it? It has to transform into a plant. plant has to start growing. It has to grow to become a vine. But the vine has to have stability and time. You're not going to get grapes the first year. If you do, you prove it wrong. It takes time to build a good grapevine. But after time, you worked it right, and you've grown it right, and pruned it, and made sure it was grown, and got some firm foundation, starts producing grapes. Well, we can't drink the grape. You have to pick the grape first, and once the grape is ripe, you can pick it, 
If it's not right, you're going to have something that tastes kind of bitter. Not going to want that. And if it's the wrong kind of grape, wrong kind of fruit, you're not going to have the juice that works for communion. But once you get the right kind of grape, you don't just pop it in a jar and say, here you go. you got to work with it. You have to transform it from a fruit, mash it, get the seeds out, and the skin off, and put it into some juice form. You have to purify it, process it, so that it is a pure juice. And now you have grape juice. Transformed from a seed to a grape juice over a course of many years. Hear me. A course of many years, not the next day, like we want our faith to be. And yet it's still grape juice until another transformation happens. The transformation from grape juice to the blood of Christ by the grace and sacrifice of God. Working in and through it by the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming it, then it becomes the blood of Christ for you and me. Transformation. Just like we've been talking about. And the bread. There's a lot of ingredients that can track the life of all of them if you want me to, but I'm just going to choose the wheat. Seed, right? It grows into a harvest in the same year. You harvest it, and then you eat it. No. No, you don't. You have to work it, don't you? Once it's a plant, you harvest it. It's not edible yet. It's not bakeable. You have to transform it. Again, work with it. Because you know what it's supposed to be when it's done. You know what to do with it along the way. Just like the grape seed. You know what to do with it at the end. You know the end results, so you work with it along the way. You take the time, you move the process forward as it's ready. Just like with our faith. And so that wheat becomes flour. You mix it with egg, sugar, water, yeast, whatever the ingredients are. And, and then, you, then, you, then they're ready to eat, right? No, they're still raw, raw material. That's what we look like in our lives sometimes. God, I'm just a mess. I'm just a broken pile of mess. He says, that's raw material. I haven't mixed it together yet. That stuff I let be in your life so I can stir it up and make it something out of you. So we stir it up. And it becomes dough. It doesn't become bread. It becomes dough. And, and I'm sure, as, uh, if you were like me as a kid, you like dough. But it's not bread. Not going to work for communion, is it? Something has to happen to the dough. What has to happen? It has to rise a little, let some of the yeast work, and then push it down and rise again. And then you got bread, right? Oh, no. What do you mean it's not ready? I mean, after all, it's risen and down and risen, and it's ready to be eaten, right? No, something else has to happen. The fire. The trial of the fire. To see that those really make bread. Mm-hmm. What his purpose is really for. And so our faith sometimes goes through a child by fire too. To see if the dough and the raw materials are mixed right. To see what's left. If it's going to be bread. Are we going to be the body of Christ? The bread. When he's done with us. Are we going to let him stir us? Mold us? Shape us? Push us down, let us rise again. Push us down, let us rise again. And then put us in the heat. See if it's really bread. But when the bread comes out, it's now a useful 
bread. But it's still bread. Until the Holy Spirit of God touches it by the grace and transforms the bread into the body. And that's what He does with us in our faith. The same thing that we experience at communion. And it doesn't become useful bread until one other thing happens. It's broken. All that work, God, and make me a loaf of bread and then you break me. It's only that way that it can be shared. And it be broken further in small pieces when we partake of it and dip it in the cup. And then, when the body and the blood, the bread and the juice are intermingled, not before, it becomes the body and the blood of Christ for us. Until then, it's wheat seeds turned into bread and grape seed turned into juice. that make sense? You are a seed of Christ. With a seed of faith growing in you. Mm-hmm. And God has to do the transformation. Would you pray with me? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your gift of grace. Grace that we just don't always understand. But by faith we can come today and receive of what you offer. And I ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here. And upon the juice and upon the bread here. Be anointed with your Holy Spirit. Pour your Spirit out upon it that it would become for us by your gracious transformation, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might become the body of Christ the world around us. Created in Him for good works. This is your call in our life. This is what you've asked us to be about. And I ask this morning, as we receive, that we also accept the call in our life to serve. Amen.